Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. Black legs are short but very powerful for digging. In fact, the name badger probably comes from the French word beche, meaning digger. It's that badger style. Welcome to the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast and in this week's edition we look ahead to the World Cup in England and Wales over the next couple of months, starting with England against South Africa on the 30th of May. What an opportunity for the game, what an opportunity for the players and what an opportunity for us to see some of the world's greatest cricketers going toe-to-toe. Who better to join me on the Badger podcast this week than BBC TMS commentator Dan Norcross. And in this first of two parts of a World Cup preview, we look at England and how they've changed the scene. Bigger scores, bigger shots, England number one in the world. Can they lift the trophy, their first World Cup, on home soil? We take a look at Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Afghanistan and look at their chances of World Cup glory before moving on to Pakistan and West Indies. You'll hear we like one of those teams and not quite so much the other. Their chances of making the last four of the World Cup. So without further ado, anyway, let's get into the chat. Here's Dan Norcross and myself looking ahead to the World Cup 2019. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. For the third time, the first person to make it a hat-trick of appearances on the podcast, Daniel Norcross. How are you, sir? Oh, well, it's truly honoured for that statistic. I remember, I was talking my head, who's the first man to get a hat-trick in uh, Test Cricket, probably Alan, can't remember. I am very well, though. I am so full of the genuine joys of second spring, the greenery around me is so lush the skies are filled with sunshine the blues and the greens the the anticipation of a season the greatest season in English cricketing history yet to come trademarked by absolutely everybody can't wait I was going to start with that 
because oh, I was thinking sorry. back across my cricket watching life and 2005, obviously people hanging out of trees outside the Oval and open top bus tours, but it was on terrestrial TV then obviously, wasn't it? So the whole nation was behind the, the country, but this is a real opportunity, Dan, isn't it, for this England cricket team to say, love me, love me, love me, World Cup winners, Ashes winners, excite everybody and just get everybody talking about cricket. Well, yeah, I mean, it is. If you're thinking about it from a purely England point of view, it definitely is. If England were to win both of them, then of course we'd go completely nuts and uh, and it would never be forgotten. But just Generally speaking, for cricket, actually, however well England do, as long as they don't bomb terribly, this is just all the stars are aligning at the moment. Uh, there are no football tournaments on, which is great. There's an ICC World Cup in a country that knows, I think, exactly how to handle it. We had the Champions Trophy a couple of years ago, so a little dry run. The venues know what to expect. The people know what to expect. It's been well marketed. We're all really excited, waiting for it. And then we've not got just the men's ashes, we've got the women's ashes, which is so, it, it means that we've got this wonderful sort of, from the 30th of May until the middle of September, there's cricket wall to wall there's even domestic cricket which is going to be exciting that covers the gaps we've got the t20s we've got the county championship which has been revived in my view in the last few years so do you know what we need is just relatively clement weather badger if we get relatively clement weather we don't get huge quantities of rain we've got the bbc all over it we've got sky all over it we're going to get wall-to-wall cricket we've got no other real intrusions unless some random person wins the tour de france and apparently then we've got to get excited about them otherwise all is set there for a truly magnificent summer you're right aren't you no major football tournament no olympics or world athletics or anything wimbledon will be there but wimbledon's always gone hand in hand with cricket anyway it's just a clear run isn't it to just impress people and show everybody how fantastic cricket it is and cricket needs that doesn't it? it needs a bit of a shot in the arm it needs exactly that you know briefly on Wimbledon I, I love Andy Murray dearly as, as we all do but in a way it's slightly helpful that he hasn't got a prayer of winning Wimbledon so it means that that really won't encroach cricket does need it it needs it hugely because as you I mean you said it in your, your intro there since it's gone off terrestrial TV it gradually become more and more and more of a minority sport but there's a sort of sense you can see it in the way that the newspapers are in employing more cricket journalists they're sort of really geared up for this summer it's this summer is going to be about cricket which puts a massive amount of pressure on the players of course the England players but the other part of me says that actually having a World Cup and the and the way the World Cup is arranged means that we won't get that awful thing where, you know, England bomb out like they did in 1999 because we've got this format, which I quite like actually, which is 10 teams doing a round robin, all play each other. Either they're too good, I think, to go out before we get to the semi-final stage, which means that that will keep that sort of interest and excitement running or keep sports editors putting cricket front and centre. And uh, it's exactly what we need for a sport that had difficult times really in the last few years and you know look look at the hundreds we wouldn't be doing 100 the ECB wouldn't be doing 100 if it wasn't for the fact that cricket needs to try to do something different whether you think that's a good approach or not it's neither in or there but it's indicative of an issue that cricket feels that it's got and this is the chance to really put cricket right on the front pages of all the major newspapers let's start with England and as you say it would be 
a major surprise if they didn't at least make the last four of this competition. You'd expect with the round-robin nature of it, the cream will rise to the top. And England, over the last two years, have been the cream, haven't they? They've been well, the number one in the world. Owen Morgan's been leading that side with drive and determination. They've been playing that attacking brand of cricket that they keep talking about. And with the likes of Joss Butler, Ben Stokes, Moen Ali in that middle order, the top order firing as well, you'd expect them to have a very good tournament. Well, it's, it's really hard to see them not making the semi-final. I mean, and let's be really clear about this, because teams, as I said, all play each other once. They're going to play nine games. Now, they have won their last 17 matches, is it, chasing? They're the number one side in the world. They've rewritten the rule book for what is the right kind of benchmark score to get and what is a score that you can chase. They've got their best, well, let me, let me put it into context. Their top eight, as you would pick them tomorrow, all have a higher strike rate than Kevin Peterson. I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So it would take a combination of bad luck, freezing on the day, and rain to not see England make it through the semi-finals. So essentially, when I think about this summer, I sort of think England is going to be the story for that group phase. We're going to get to semi-finals, and who knows what may happen. But England bang on, so I'll be staggered if they don't get to top four. India, for me are a similar kind of team. They're just too good over the long haul. And in a way, you know, the tournament has been created in order to ensure that India play at least nine games. That's why we're doing That's why we've got what, fewer teams. I mean, there's only 10 teams in this tournament, and it's partly to sort of obviate against the dangers of big sides going out. So the cream will rise to that top. The excitement, though, is going to be who fills the other two semi-final places. And I think that as we get through the tournament, we're going to see some surprises from teams that we weren't expecting to do particularly well. And we're going to see a really exciting jostling for positions on against the last two, three games in the round-robin phase. Before we get to the next in lines, England's performance down at Bristol the other day, when they, when they chased down... 358. We all know how good England are at chasing, but that just underlines, just ahead of this tournament, how hard it is for a team batting first against them. And it puts pressure on that side, doesn't it, too? They never know quite how many they need, and usually they need about another 50 than they probably think they need, because England just seems to chase on anything. Well, yeah, England have got a very, I say they're fortunate, I don't think it is fortunate, actually. I think it's really designed. They've learned all the lessons from the previous campaign in 2015. They have packed their side with players who are absolutely going to go for it. The only player you would think in the top eight who has been given the sort of licence to sit in is Joe Root at number three. And given that he is one of the best ODI batsmen in the world, averaging 50 odd, it gives you such sort of a sense of solidity and calm. Let's you know, just try and go our heads around the likes of Jason Roy and Johnny Bairstow, what they've done. They're already England's leading opening pairing. And it wasn't that long ago that Roy was opening with Hales and then Roy didn't play in the Champions Trophy and Bairstow was opening with Hales. So this is, a, in a way, a relatively new partnership. I think they've been together 26 matches. They've already scored more runs than any other England opening pairing. And the two fastest scoring openers in ODI cricket of all time are Roy and Bairstow. That in itself is mental. That's before we even get down to the likes of Owen Morgan, who's England's leading run scorer in ODI history. Josh Butler, who has the highest strike rate of anybody who scored over a thousand runs. Where does this end? Moeen Ali comes in at seven. They have a team that could quite feasibly have Liam Plunkett batting at 11. So what it allows them over 50 overs is sort of to play 50 over cricket a bit like it's two and a half T20s. Not every country has that. 
you know, so you look at Pakistan, for example, and on a good wicket, and they look like they might set 370, 380 at one point. The, the fact is that once they're fixed down, there's not really a lot to come. You look at India, and that, we'll come on to them a little bit more later, but India are absolutely fantastic, top seven maybe. But thereafter, because their tail is, is weaker, it means that they have to approach batting in the middle over slightly differently. England have got a freedom that allows them to keep on trying. Now, it's also their Achilles heel. It's happened a few times. Notably against South Africa at Lords and against the West Indies in the winter, where they all go hard and then it all goes horribly wrong. But it rarely happens that way, and that's what allows them to create some kind of score inflation that other countries don't quite have that freedom. The listeners to the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast have gone up by 580% in the last 12 months. Thank you so much for all of your support for the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast. And if you want to advertise on the show, well, of course you can. You're more than welcome to play your part as the podcast goes from strength to strength. We get in front of a lot of people out there. It's a real opportunity for you to put your business in front of the cricket world. Get in touch with us, cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Become part of the Cricket Badger family. Let's go down to the bottom end of the, the fancies of the 10 sides. Bangladesh... Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, they seem to fill the bookies lower echelons of this tournament. Sri Lanka, we keep saying about Sri Lanka, they're a team in transition still. Bangladesh have just been a little bit away from the races for a while now. Of those three, Afghanistan to me have the most chance of maybe causing a, a little bit of a surprise as we go through this tournament. Any side with Rashid Khan following his twirlers has got a chance of causing an upset. Yes, I'd agree with you actually. I mean, the likes of Mohammed Nabi and, uh, and Rashid Khan have played so much franchise T20 cricket. They're extraordinarily experienced and they know what it's like to play in, in big tournaments. They've also got in Hazratullah. I think he's a guy who at once, maybe more two or three times, is going to come off in this tournament and absolutely stagger us right at the top of the order. He's a big hitting left-hander. He smashes it mostly over mid-wicket. He's not the fittest looking bloke, but my word, he packs a massive punch. Uh, and I think also there'll be that element, and I know every team will say, well, no, we never take anybody lightly, but there'll be that sense, oh, at least we're playing Afghanistan today. Well, you've got to be careful when you play Afghanistan because I think they are capable of springing a surprise. I, I slightly disagree with you on Bangladesh. I think that they have got some really, you know, seasoned campaigners. You've got Shakib Al-Hassan will be around. They'll have Tamim Iqbal. They'll have Mushrika, uh, Mamadullah. I think on their day, if they find the right kind of pitch, and this will happen a bit over time because it's a long tournament, there'll be pitches that are a little bit slower, a little bit more grabby. I think you'll find that Bangladesh might come into it. I fancy them to beat Sri Lanka. I think Sri Lanka are the weakest side in the tournament. But I think also they might spring a surprise if things just go their way, if there's a little bit of rain around, a bit of duck Lewis comes in. They might be important in deciding who finishes fourth, fifth, sixth the results against those kind of teams. But you're right. I mean, when trying to assess this World Cup, I've thought about this quite a bit. You've got two teams who are, I think, are certain to finish in the top four. You've got three teams who are certain not to finish in the top four. And the real interest, you know, both for punters and people that love their cricket is how do you perm the other five teams? Let's get on to those now. I'm, I'm looking at some odds on a, on a bookie's website here as we speak. And West Indies are 12 to 1 to win this World Cup. Pakistan are 10 to 1. 9 to 1 for New Zealand. 8 to 1 for for South Africa and the Aussies, the defending champions, it's not to be forgotten, are four to one to win this World Cup. You could make 
a case for any of those, really, couldn't you? I mean, the West Indies, let's start with them, Dan. If you look down their squad, I mean, I've just been watching the IPL, seeing what uh, Dre Ruth has been doing in the IPL, and it's been superhuman. His muscles are bigger than my body, which is quite sizable. He is incredible. The, the way he hits that ball is just monstrous. I don't think I've ever hit, seen anybody hit it harder. You've got Chris Galen at the top of the order, who's probably going to be making his farewell appearance at the World Cup, but yeah, I'm sure he'll want to try and go out on a high. He's been made vice-captain to, I think, probably a bit of kidology there to give him some responsibility in that side. They've got some good youngsters coming through. They've had some good results over the last 12 months, and they're not to be written off, are they? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think they're the best value in many ways, because they've got the best talent that people don't know about, uh, and that's really important. There are some players there that people do know about, like Gale and, and Russell, they do know about, but then you've got some really interesting guys. I mean, Shimron Hetmeyer is going to be a star. O'Shane Thomas is going to be interesting. They've got some really fabulous players and they've got depth. And in the likes of Sheldon Cottrell, they've also got guys that are massively underrated that no one's really taking seriously. They just see nothing more than a, than a wicket celebration. But he's an awkward customer. He bowls some interesting variations. The CPL has done wonders, I think, for West Indian cricket and white ball cricket, especially over the last few years. And it's got, they've got a lot of guys there who I think will, will spring a surprise. They are ones that I think actually could hit the semi-finals because if the, if they play on new, fresh, good wickets, you know, Gale could do some serious damage. You saw what he did against England in the yeah. in the series in the winter, and England number one side in the world. They drew that series to all. It's sort of why I kind of think I look at the West Indies and look at Pakistan. And if you'd said to me a year ago, well, I said, well. You know, the West Indies, they're lucky to be at the tournament. Pakistan are going to be the ones that are going to surprise people, look what they did in the Champions Trophy. But actually, England have kind of rewritten the 50-over rule book. 300 is a, a base score. You've got to get 300. Now, there will be days when the West Indies will lose Gale early and Dray Ruff, as you call him, will sky one and get out and... You know, they'll make a disappointing 180 and they'll be rolled over. That will happen, I'm sure of it. But by the same token, there will be more days, I think, when the depth of their hitting power gives them the kind of freedom that England have. They bat further down. They've got Jason Holder batting further down. Their, their bowling is the thing that, that concerns me, without a doubt. But I feel that this World Cup is going to be decided by batters. I think it's going to be the sides that can regularly get 330-plus are going to win this World Cup. And when I look around the... The opposition, the West Indies are the side that can do that in a way that I think Pakistan can't. So, yeah, they bowled magnificently a few years ago in the Champions Trophy, but they bowled on they bowled on worn pitches towards the end of that tournament. The whole tournament took place on three grounds. This tournament's taking place around the country. Is it, is it 11 different grounds, I think, are hosting World Cup games? The result of that is that, general rule, pitches will probably hold up for a little bit longer, and that will play into the strength of the sort of sides that have power in their batting. So I actually think that West Indies represent exceptionally good value there. No guarantees of them, of course, but... On the basis of those odds, I'd, I'd be I'd be having a quiet punt on them. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I've watched Pakistan against England. I like their top, their, their opening pair. The number three and four are no mugs either. But I think if you get past them, their batting isn't quite as impressive. And I don't think their bowling is particularly dangerous. You look at the West Indies, and I'll just read you out their squad here. Jason Holder, the captain, we all know what he can do. Chris Gale, the universal boss, is legendary. Evan Lewis has been superb in the CPL and scored runs in the IPL. Darren Bravo, fantastic player. 
Hetmeyer, you, you mentioned. Shai Hope is a terrific batsman. Nicholas Poran is a guy, a youngster that I think is a real talent. Um, Carlos Brathwaite, we all know what he did um, in the World T20 final to Ben Stoke. Andre Russell, they have some serious firepower in that batting order. And in the bowling department, Shannon Gabriel, Kimar Roach, if they get a wicket that suits them with a bit of pace in it, they, they could fire a team out as well. I, I, I'm totally with you, actually. I, I'm sort of, I'm loath to tip them for the simple reason that I think over nine matches, 50 over cricket, and they, they barely scraped into the tournament. If it weren't for a terrible umpiring decision, then God, Scotland would be in, wouldn't they? You know, I, I don't know how, quite how we find ourselves in this situation, except that I think West Indian cricket's kind of pulled itself together in the last 12 months. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Chris Gale has been missing quite a lot. Andre Russell too. You know, we're starting to see some of the the A-listers, um, for want of a better phrase, yep. coming back to the country. There's a bit of that, and I think also I think Jason Holder is a leader of that group, and it's just coming together because I think he knows what he wants, and he and he's communicated what he expects from his team, and also they're benefiting from the fact in a strange kind of way where one of the things that caused them problems in the past was the IPL that their board didn't have the money to pay for them to play for the West Indies. And that meant that they became very fragmented and players went off and played in a whole series of leagues. And there were all sorts of arguments that took place at board level. Now, having sort of brought that diaspora back together into one group, you've actually got a bunch of people who are now used to playing high-level, hugely competitive cricket explosively well for money. It might be that that's worked their advantage, that, the, the, again, the stars are aligning for the West Indies. And I, and I hope so, because I think it would make for a superb tournament. I mean, if we, if we get, if we, if we see Chris Gale teeing off, I mean, in the field, that'll suffer slightly, because Chris will have to sort of stand at mid-wicket like a statue and do absolutely nothing. You know, they're, they're not the most mobile, necessarily, some of these great players. But I think what we will see is some explosive and extraordinary cricket. And, and the idea of Andre Russell getting maybe 14 overs to bat at the back end of the innings instead of six overs in an IPL and just seeing what he can do. He rewrote the rules of what's possible. And I love Josh Butler, as you know. I mean, I consider him to be England's A.B. de Villiers. But there were things that Russell did in the IPL that boggled your mind. He's 47 and 12 balls at various points that would to win games that were just inconceivable. And um, given, you know, a bunch of flat decks on a nice warm day, small boundaries, it could be the West Indies who are hitting 400 easily. They nearly did that against England this winter. One thing the IPL's done and the big bash has done, I remember watching one of the IPL matches in this tournament. It was when Andre Russell was at the crease and they needed, I think, 18.6 and over and the commentators were, mm. were still talking about it as if the batsmen were in control. And that's what yeah. T20 cricket has done, hasn't it? Because, yeah, you go back to 
to my youth and, and your youth, anything above a runner ball was deemed to be a tough task. But now we're talking about 18 and over over the last three. Well, Rich used to say that, didn't he? He'd say it's uh, the red guys over runner ball. It's very, very difficult out there. And <laughs> really, I mean, 18 is pushing it, and that's and that's because you've got Russell at the crease uh, and yeah. you've got a good deck. But 12 and over is yeah, two entirely feasible. Exactly. I mean, we, we, we've reached sort of like 100% inflation. England the other day against Pakistan, their last 10 overs got 118 runs, and it seemed the most natural thing in the world, didn't it? A lot of people say it's not real cricket. Oh, gosh, I don't like high-scoring matches. It's just smashing it out of the park. I think they're kind of mad, actually. If you, if you offered me 360 plays 357, over 230 plays 227. Well, I'd go with 360 plays 357 every day, wouldn't you? I'll take issue with you a little bit on that. I, I totally agree with the sentiment behind what you just said. I do think there needs to be a little bit more of a mixture. You could maybe have the 250 one day, the 380 the next, because I think a, a little bit, people get very, a, a, a bit immune to seeing people hitting sixes in these amazing shots because they happen so often. Yeah, whereas 10 years ago, you'd see A.B. de Villiers scoop the ball over the, over the keeper's head off and it was bowling 110 miles an hour and you'd think that was just incredible. You just see that in the same way you see a forward defensive now because it's just becoming commonplace. Well, yeah, there's a bit, I, I get the argument, but what I would also say is I think batsmen are doing things now that they never used to do. You know, they're thinking about what is possible. And I think we've got to give them credit for that you know, yeah. in, in a sense it seems a little bit mean to be putting everything down to well the balls aren't good enough and the boundaries are too small and the bats are too big and everything's gone the batsman's favour and not recognising that actually batsmen are doing things that are truly staggering and they're, and they're all doing them they're trying shots that are really remarkable you know reverse well, switch hits ramps god knows what else I mean yeah. it doesn't matter really does it how, how good your bat is and, and how bad the ball is Trying those shots is audacity, and we should be enjoying it. Now, what bowlers do... It's, it's more than audacity, isn't it? It's more than audacity. It's, it's bravery. I mean, to see somebody go down on one knee to a, a Lassie Malinga or somebody like that and flip a Yorker over his nose, over the keeper for four or six, that is... It's like, yeah. you, know, you would have been deemed suicidal 15 years ago. Well, exactly. And, and, and that's why I think, of course, scores are going to get higher because batsmen are prepared to try doing things that they didn't before. No disrespect to Ian Bell, but Ian Bell walked off a World Cup stage one day having got 64 off 90. I think he'd, he'd done his job. Now... If you batted at one, two or three with 64 off 90 nowadays, then you hadn't done your job. And that's not to say that Ian Bell hadn't done his job when he did that. It's just that the world has changed. The expectations of what a batsman should do have changed. The ones who step up to the plate and really do that, that's what we're looking out for. It doesn't also mean that bowling isn't really important because bowling, bowling is massively more important than that. fact. When expectation is a runner ball, then a dot ball becomes key. So the other day at Southampton, you know, David Willey bowled a fabulous last three overs of wide Yorkers delivered round the wicket, left arm, uh, when Pakistan were in a pretty good position, could have won, could have got a run chase of 374. Those moments then become key. To... That's almost becoming the stock ball now, isn't it? That wide Yorker that's just inside the, yeah. uh, in, inside the mark that the umpire's got for a wide. But it's really hard to deliver, James. I mean, that is yeah, a yeah. really tough ball to do because you're, you're, you're really playing with fire. You've got to get it inside the tram line and you've got to get it full enough. Otherwise, it absolutely goes. I mean, nowadays, that goes for a six over extra 
discover if you if you get your names wrong. Well, Andre Russell is a great example of that in in the IPL because they were trying that against him, and when they got it right, he was struggling to get bat on ball. But anything yep. slightly wrong, he was launching for six over extra cover. And again, that's a shot that ten years ago was once a season. Now it's once a game or twice twice a game. Hitting a ball over extra cover, sometimes mm-hmm. off the back foot of the spinner for six, is just a ridiculous shot. That's so hard to do. We saw a game at the AGS while I was on commentary for TMS. Mercifully, I think Rob Key was on for Sky, and uh, obviously we have no idea what each other's saying. We're in different boxes. But our reaction to it was exactly the same. It was, that is the greatest shot I've ever seen. And Jason Roy hit a short ball outside the off stump. And I mean, you, know, you might have tried to, to angle it down to third man in the old days, or even by the old days, I mean last year, or just leave it ride the bounce he smashed it over extra cover for six off the back foot yeah. and I mean you know my eyes popped out of my head how on earth well I wasn't at the ground down but I was doing commentary off tube in lead on that game and my reaction was exactly the same as yours but a few hundred miles away you know it was, it was a crazy yeah. shot wasn't it it was absolutely extraordinary and the thing is that I've actually seen that shot played by Will Jacks of Surrey in a T20 match last year yeah. I can't remember against whom he played the same shot for six and I thought hello what earth is that shot and <laughs> this is obviously a shot now that batsmen are, are practicing you know you're not you're not doing that just for the hell of it this is what they're actually trying because bowlers are adapting bowlers are whacking slower ball bounces into the pitch so how are you going to counter that where are you going to hit it this kind of wonderful arms race between bowlers and batsmen is what we're looking at now the numbers suggest that batsmen are on top but numbers are all relative so you know if 350 becomes the norm then a bowler going at six and over is bowling really well a bowler bowling yeah. at nine and over is not and, and that's just the evolution of the game it's just we've got to get our heads more around that i get i do understand that there is a great joy to be had from watching the ball snaking past the outside edge and it swinging and it moving around but i'm afraid that the white cookaburra balls that we use don't lend themselves to that on on whatever pitch you know the only way you're going to get low scoring games nowadays are on slow grabby awful pitches like Chipork in the IPL where spinners come into play and I don't think that really makes for good white ball cricket to be honest with you I, I, I can see an argument for making the balls more responsive the swing bowlers with a more prominent seam and doing it a little bit more and making it tougher at the top of the innings but I don't think you know making really slow really difficult really heavily spinning pitches is the answer so let's just revel in the fact that batsmen are on top and let's revel in the skills of the bowlers as they try to deal with that after christmas when i was younger jeffrey boycott your mate jeffrey boycott's coaching book and i think mm-hmm. probably 200 out of 200 pages maybe 100 we were playing in the v it needs rewriting jeffrey for listening to this i think yeah there's some shots that are being played now that need to be added you need a, an appendix at least it's that badger style Thank you very much to Dan Norcross for joining me for this first part of our World Cup preview. He'll be back alongside myself in a couple of days' time where we look at the runners and riders to lift the trophy. South Africa, New Zealand and Australia and the two favourites, England and India. So join us for part two in a couple of days' time. Sports 
Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.